0: This is episode 83. In this episode of All Hazards, we talk about the weather. Cool stuff like blizzards, atmospheric rivers, and the grandma effect. But El Nino and La Nina are
1: definitely those those sensational buzzwords.
0: Sensational or not, nothing impacts everyone the way weather does. Especially when we're talking about disasters.
1: Even if the weather doesn't cause it, you still have to plan and coordinate for what quote-unquote might be coming and impacting your response activities.
0: Burn scars, rain, and evacuation camps, well they don't mix. So emergency teams have to have sound scientifically based weather forecasting to prevent further harm to human life. And educating the public and earning their trust are keys to helping them help themselves.
1: The best way to make sure we get folks to react is to work with our partners and we all talk with one voice.
0: Today, that one voice is Michelle Meade, meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service in Sacramento, right now. And joining me now via Zoom as usual, during the last uh, year or so. Uh, Meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service here in Sacramento, California is Michelle Meade. Michelle, welcome.
1: Hi, Sean. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, so, so happy to have you here. I'm glad you were able to do it. Um, You know, like everybody else, you know, uh, we have to do things like this via Zoom. So for our listeners who are wondering why it sounds a little different uh, maybe not quite as good. It's because we're doing it via Zoom. So please forgive uh, the technological uh, disadvantages here. But uh, I can see you. You're, uh, looks like you're sitting in your living room, is that right?
1: I'm sitting in my living room. Um, we do still have our operational forecasters, the ones that do the day in and day out forecasting at the office and we're still running 24 seven. It's just due to COVID constraints, we are, um, only essential personnel are going into the office. So we do try to do majority of our work um, via telework, but the forecasting and the radar monitoring, all that stuff is still going on at the office. Right. So no fear. Right.
0: right. <laughs> no fear. No fear. Nope. Everybody's got it. The reason I wanted to have you uh, chat with us a little bit is this is all hazards. Okay. So all hazards includes weather. And so much of our disasters, especially our natural disasters are affected and impacted by the weather. I don't think there's any one thing that impacts our lives on a day-to-day basis more than the weather. That's why every newscast has at least multiple hits from their weather forecaster, from their meteorologist. When we have our activations for some disaster, usually a wildfire or flooding, you have a meteorologist embedded in our state operations center. They brief out every single day, sometimes twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. And then you're, you're here as a way for um, us to come to you at a moment's notice and say, hey, what, what, can you tell me about this? So explain to me and those listening, Um, Why it would be so important to have a meteorologist embedded here at Cal OES at the State Operations Center anytime we have um, a disaster.
1: So, like you mentioned, um, it's an all hazards podcast and some hazards are created by the weather, but all response and recovery are impacted by the weather. So even if the weather doesn't cause it, you still have to plan and coordinate for what, quote unquote, might be coming and impacting your response activities. So as we all know, um, California is a very dynamic state when it comes to weather. We literally go from drought to flood in a matter of weeks or months. And um, and even when you are responding, um, there's just certain things you're unsure of. Like if you wanna do, um, a helicopter flyover. Are the winds favorable? Do you have enough visibility that you can do what we call a visual flight range, pilot? You know, or do they need instruments? I mean, those are kind of things that a lot of you know. Most people are just like, oh, I don't know. I, it, the sky's blue. I guess we can go, and not to even think that you know, just above the surface, we've got crosswinds that would do damage or could impact that flight. So, um, so having someone right there on on site for Cal OES, I just think is one great for the meteorologists because we really get to interact with partners and the responders because it is easy for us to kind of get (laughs) into our our zone, you know, when we're doing the forecast and and they're like, oh, we know, everyone knows what this means. But when you're interacting one-on-one with the partners and they're like, well, what does it mean winds, you know, west winds? Does that mean it's blowing to the west or from the west? And things that you would never even would have thought People didn't understand, but, you know, but those we, are the things that, can make that make a big difference. Exactly. I mean, it really is because it, it's a lot of aha moments for operational forecasters to be at the state operations center, which is why we try very hard to rotate our forecasters through there. You know, one, of course, you build a relationship and rapport um, with one certain person, but the more faces you see and get to know, cause we all know, you know, I can talk, I can talk to Sean on the phone and that's one thing, but once I've met Sean and seen him face to face, there's something about your trust factor that goes up and you just, you feel like, Oh, I know this person now. And I can ask a quote unquote silly question. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> and when it comes right. to weather, there is no silly question, you know, it's like, we know it's going to have an impact on you. So it's great
0: for us to be there. For sure. Now your background, you uh, spent some time living in uh, Minnesota. Montana, and I'm not sure where else. I know Montana because your phone number starts with area code 406. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I was born and and
1: raised uh, in the Midwest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so you have seen quite some extremes in weather, but you were also saying to me off, uh, just before we came on here, that uh, California actually has the craziest weather compared to those two states.
1: Yeah, so a little background, I was born and raised in Minnesota, from Minnesota, I went to Michigan, Michigan to South Dakota, South Dakota to Oregon, Oregon to Montana and Montana to here. Wow. So what do five of those six locations have in common? Everybody gets snow in the winter where, where they live. So when I first moved here and, you know, people were talking about getting it, I think it was like 2014, we, were, we had a cold outbreak and we might get snow in the valley. And I was just like, oh, what's the big deal? It's a half inch of snow. And everybody was acting like it was the apocalypse. And so I literally had to take myself out of my reality and be like, this is a big deal here. They don't see snow in California. So, um, so that was like my first aha moment. It's just like, you got to remember that, you know, snow to someone who isn't used to snow, it is a huge deal. So, um, it you know it was it was a fun learning experience but i will admit i've seen more tornadoes since i've been to california um you know we just had a storm last week that dumped over eight feet of snow in a matter of three days you don't see that anywhere in fact some of our our national map makers they didn't even have a gis color code for anything over four feet because we just don't see snow like that you know and i'm like well we do out here You better
0: revise your color codes
1: and they did they actually reached out and they said we think there's a data problem i said no that's because your color table doesn't go above five feet and we had over eight so it was you know it was one of those aha moments for them too you know because when you're on the east coast a two-foot snowstorm is a huge deal right shuts down commerce shuts down everything in up here in the sierra nevada caltrans kicked butt you know they basically had i-80 open last week for 90 percent of the storm because, you know, they're used to it and they deal with it. So, like I said, there's definitely, um, you know, you get used to where you live and then you put yourself in their shoes and be like, this is a big deal because they don't see it that often.
0: Let's talk about the types of weather then that can actually impact a disaster and in maybe some of the ways. I was curious to see out of, you know, the local California disasters, how many of them were attributable directly to weather? There have been 60 disasters based on loss. So I think we're talking about total damages. So out of the 60. Out of the 60 top disasters in California, how many were either caused by or exacerbated by the weather? You may be surprised by the answer coming up. And just because a team may be part of recovery doesn't necessarily mean they're out of the woods.
1: But then each layer of emergency management has its element and weather plays a key part in all of them.
0: So it's very important that communication between everyone working a response and recovery effort include a weather forecaster. Real simple
1: questions getting answered and, and it can totally change a decision based on the answer you give them.
0: Back to our conversation with Michelle Mead, meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service in Sacramento. I was curious to see out of, you know, the local California disasters, how many of them were attributable directly to weather? There have been 60 disasters based on loss. So I think we're talking about total damages. So out of the 60, one third of them, 20, were directly related to the weather. So that tells you something right there that either they're caused by or exacerbated by the weather. Tell me a little bit about uh, what you've seen and some of the things that you plan for when it comes for weather and their potential impacts on disasters. So like
1: we've discussed already, California is a dynamic state for a couple of reasons. Um, One, we're a long skinny state um, and we have four different weather regimes. So you have high desert, which is in the Southwest corner of the state. You have coastal, you have mountainous, and then you have Inland Valley. And everyone's like, oh, shouldn't be that big of a deal. But each one of those little climatological areas have their own quote unquote hazards, right? So coastal, you have not only the marine folks you have to help and deal with and and message for, but you also have coastal erosion, right? If we get a big storm coming in with a high king tide, you know, that's gonna cause coastal erosion and flooding. So again, it's not just a weather service, but we have to know our partners. In the mountains, like I've already mentioned, we can get a storm that dumps six, eight inches of snow. So again, you gotta make sure you're communicating with the transportation department because commerce, obviously California is huge in and out with commerce. So the interstate system is literally the highway to the commerce. So Mm. we gotta keep that open. And then we have a huge ag community in our Central Valley which is heavily influenced by not enough rain, drought, too much rain, flooding, and then of course fog, um, and and freezing temperatures. And that's very unusual, or not very unusual. But you know, our coldest months are usually December and January, where the averages are right around mid thirties. But if you drop those temperatures below twenty eight for a period of time, that could have a huge economic impact to our agricultural community. So. We're constantly meeting with partners and figuring out, you know, what are the extremes that are going to impact your day-to-day livelihood? You know, what operational decisions do you need to make based on this weather information that you're getting? So when we go to Cal OES, you know, we look at not only the disaster, but what is the response and recovery activities. Is there an air element to it? So now we need to know aviation. Is there a levee element? We need to know flooding and inundation mapping. Is there um, a fire response with, unfortunately, tent cities that have to pop up? Now we're worried about severe weather and winds. So I mean, there's, you know, you don't even think about it. You walk in there and like, oh, here's the forecast. You're good to go. But there's so many layers of a disaster during and then the recovery and response afterward that all hinge on weather (laughs) because you don't want to put your tent city in a low-lying area because if we get a big storm, then it's going to flood out. So those are kind of things that a lot of folks just you take for granted, right? Oh, look at this nice big flat area happens to be right next to the riverbed.
0: (laughs) Not, Not a good place. No, 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 no. Right. So how often would someone in the state operations center, the SOC, the SOC, how often would someone... Uh, in there go to either you or whoever the other representative is there and actually proactively ask about the weather?
1: Oh, man. So I've personally been there at least a dozen times. And like you mentioned, outside of the the two mandatory briefings, we're pulled into meetings all day long. Uh, we're, We're pulled into the legislative meetings. We're pulled into the command and general staff um, the planning meetings, the operations meetings. So it's it's one thing to give the overall general picture of what's going to happen, but then each layer of emergency management has its element and weather plays a key part in all of them. Logistics, planning, um, you know, response, all of those, like I said, when you're going to, what do they call it, pre-deploy or move things in certain areas, um, you know, is it is it dry enough that we can get a truck up there and it's not going to rain and get it stuck up there? You know, I mean, things that you just don't even think about actually are impacted by the weather. So it's um, yeah, I think my, in the shifts, like you've mentioned before, 12 hour shifts, they go by fast because you're busy the whole time mm-hmm. <laughs> just getting asked, you know, like I said, someone clarifying for me or asking me to clarify, you know, West winds, what does that mean? Can we fly that way? Or is it going to be, a headwind or a tailwind. I mean, all of that kind of stuff is is just a matter of real simple questions getting answered and, and it can totally change a decision based on the answer you give them.
0: Right. Yeah. Can you imagine being a pilot who is flying one of those uh, fire retardant dropping uh, aircraft and uh, you got to know not only which way you need to go, but which way the, the fire retardant is going to go. Uh, if there are strong right. winds, it may not land exactly where you want it to if you're not uh, taking the wind direction and speed into account. So I I think to me, that's, that's really fascinating. What also is fascinating to me is how, and you've mentioned it already, how diverse and extreme our weather can be. Climate change, whether you believe that it's happening or whether you don't believe it's happening, the weather changes sometimes day to day, week to week, or hour to hour. It can change. Looking at how dramatic our weather can change um let's look at it from a season to season point of view firefighters have started to reduce the number of times that they say fire season because in the old days it used to be during the hot months the hot dry months now you start going into the fall and into the winter there's still the potential for fire in fact look at the thomas fire thomas fire broke out in what october and yep. uh, and really wasn't out until late or early December. And then of yep. course, then we had the following mudslides in Montecito because of that. Looking at the, the changing seasons, what kind of a challenge does that pose for someone like you? You're more of a short term forecaster. Is that right?
1: Right. We're considered um, what you call the operational forecaster. So we're we're concentrating on the week to 10 day period. Climate, as we all know, is like you said, uh, a yearly, monthly, yearly or seasonal average. The Weather Service and the climate community, we have normal values that are calculated. Um, They're called 30 year normals because that gives you all the extremes and the highs and lows. And they're recalculated every 10 years. So we just ended 2020. So, they are now recalculating the 30-year climates, and they will go through 2020. And there have been a lot of folks who have done, you know, what do they call those, um, bar napkin calculations. Ah. (laughs) And um, especially folks who are kind of tuned in to the seasonal outlooks, they'll always they'll comment, they're like California always is red in the winter what they mean by red is the temperatures are expected to be at or above average for the winter season. That has a lot of waiting to do just with the last 10 years because we have been so warm. Um, So when it comes to our daily job of forecasting, uh, we look at something that are called return intervals and those are those um, really intense rains, Um, like with an atmospheric river, like we just had, how often do we see rains like this? Um, We can look at them in terms of return intervals, like amount of rain at this point only happens like once every 10 years is kind of what we're looking at. Well, those numbers are shrinking, (laughs) you know, instead of every once every 25 years, they are becoming once in every 10 years. So that means the storms that we are getting are more intense, dropping more rain at once. The heat that we're getting is more intense, and it's lasting a lot longer. When we're talking again about the the climate elements, anyone who lives along the coast of California, I would fair to bet, and my brother lives in LA, so I know this, about 95% of the population doesn't have air conditioning because they've never needed it. Right? You've always got the sea breeze, and it cools you off. And you know, there's like one day where it's unbearable, and when they say unbearable, it's like 85 degrees. Just take the last five years and they've hit 90, 95. And when you don't have the infrastructure in place or, you know, air conditioners for folks, it can cause a big impact for people. Um, I apologize (laughs) if you can hear my phone in the back, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, But yeah, we are definitely seeing, you know, those, those, abnormal things becoming more than normal. But the message really hasn't gotten out. You know, it's like, oh, it only lasts a day. I mean, my brother has lived in LA for 25 years and just got air conditioning this year because he's like, last summer was unbearable. We couldn't sleep. Our house was 90 degrees. You know, I mean, so it's just, again, so think about it in that respect. If you live along the Mm -hmm. coast and you never had to dream about air conditioning, now it's almost becoming a
0: must. It's always been a must in my household, but you get the point. Climate change is happening, whether you believe humans are causing it or not. And in time, accurate, trustworthy public information and direction are going to play important roles in saving lives.
1: The best way to make sure we get folks to react is to work with our partners and we all talk with one voice.
0: So let's finish our chat with Michelle Mead. So looking at um, some of the the changes, uh, a few years ago, I think it was 2015, 2016, we had that uh, El Nino, the the Godzilla El Nino, and uh, that was supposed to be uh, the savior for our drought. It was supposed to really kind of put the nail in the coffin for the drought that we had endured for four or five years straight. And uh, while we did get a little more rain, we didn't get quite what was expected. How important then is something like an El Nino Again, not just so much from the forecasting point of view, which, you know, you could talk about, but also when it comes to the, the resulting impacts or, or maybe in this case, what was hoped for in terms of an impact, when that either does or doesn't come to fruition, how disappointed are you as a forecaster? Or, <laughs> I mean, you know, because we were really counting on that.
1: Well, and, and we actually went into that season asking people not to count their eggs before they hatch because California is so incredibly dynamic and not all El Ninos are created the same. El Nino is an atmospheric condition in case any listener is unaware. Basically what happens is we look at the sea surface temperatures along the equator. And when those temperatures warm up to a certain degree, uh, we we categorize them as weak, moderate, and strong and extreme. And 2015, 2016 was supposed to be an extreme. The warmest El Nino temperatures we've ever seen. And what that warming of the equatorial waters does is it changes the storm track. And then typically it will favor, um, the Southern part of the U S including Southern California. So, you know, we had everybody like, I I remember that was like one of my first briefings at the governor's office was like, we got to prepare for El Nino because Southern California is going to get slammed with flooding and, and, you know, and, and I said, we should always prepare because California is an extreme state no matter what, but there's no guarantee it's going to be that. You know, it's just like there is some indication, but we haven't seen one this strong before since I think 2005 was the last time we had an extreme El Nino and they did. They actually got basted. Mm. So, right, your, your experience is the, the last time it was this bad. And then we ended up having a, a pretty typical winter um, so the bottom line is always my job. I see during that time is to kind of educate people. It's like yes, it's there. It's a buzzword, um, but El Nino is not the only atmospheric phenomenon out there that we track. It's just the one with the most publicity and the most research. So it does tend to get um, what's the word I'm looking for. It tends to get sensationalized. Mm, yes, <laughs> so this this could happen. This. And then we always, every time we're doing our winter preparedness meetings with our emergency managers and our, our transportation folks, is you should always expect some flood event in a winter season, some huge snow event. It's not going to be the whole season, but you should expect at least one or two every season because that's just how we roll in California. You know, it, all it takes is one storm, or even not a storm, a levee that's um, failed and you flood. I mean, it's just amazing how many different things can impact people's lives that may or may not be weather related. But El Nino and La Nina are definitely those, those sensational buzzwords that um, I'll be, I would literally be in the, in the grocery store and everyone's like, oh, I have friends in SoCal and and they're sandbagging and they're prepping everything. And then we didn't have that bad of a winter and then Ah. the next year was crazy.
0: (laughs) Oh yes, yeah. (laughs) And then of course you have the atmospheric rivers those atmospheric rivers, which we just experienced within this past we week. did. Yes. And uh, I was down in Santa Barbara for part of that. And I swear to God, I thought I was back in Florida in the middle of a monsoon, the sky opened up and it just raindrops the size of golf balls. It was crazy. And then it cleared you know, up and it was beautiful. But I also heard <laughs> that the Sierras got upwards of eight feet of snow. It's a, it's amazing.
1: It, it is amazing. And, and, you know, basically an atmospheric river, For California, it's like our version of a hurricane, right? We get as much rain in one storm as you can see in a week's or even a month's worth of time. Um, That storm at the end of January, for folks who don't know the um, 8 station index, which is the central Sierra, basically gave them their entire month's worth of rain in one storm. So it's, like I said, they are extreme events. And this one was actually a little more beneficial because it stalled, which is why we had the ribbon um, along and south of I-80 for about 24 hours. And then it shifted south where you were (laughs) Mm. and it opened up Mm. down south. That typically doesn't happen. We usually have one that'll go through or it'll stall and that'll be the end of it. But this one stalled and then it decided to dive. So the whole state benefited. That usually doesn't happen with our atmospheric rivers. It's like a corridor along it. I-80 seems to be favorite location don't ask me why it's got to do something with topography and the and the way the waves are going but um you know it's it's either extreme north uh, along the oregon border the i-80 corridor or southern cal those are the three places <laughs> that our storms tend to hit pretty hard so um but over the last several years we've even seen that change you know where um We're starting to see
0: more in in places that don't typically see the the fire hose, so to speak. Right. Well, I can tell you right now that uh, those folks who live in the Big Sur area certainly uh, had deja vu all over again. Uh, Part of uh, Highway 1 completely washed out. A big section of the highway is now in the ocean. Um, And now they've got to figure out what to do about that. And that's another perfect example of how mother nature can create its own disasters, even on a smaller scale, it doesn't have to be a hurricane. It can be just heavy rain that all of a sudden washes out the a, a side of a mountain.
1: Right, and we actually, um, we're not us in Sacramento, but I know the Monterey and the Oxnard office were highlighting the potential that this portion of Monterey County, um, the southern edge of Monterey County is is where it stalled, right? And they said we could see upwards of 10 to 12 inches of rain in a day and a half. So that message got to Caltrans and they actually preemptively were telling people stay off highway one because it's a huge rock landslide. And it was the perfect call because what started as a a little dribble, right? Turned into the whole washout of highway one. So it's it's those relationships and that communication that we strive for in the weather service you know we used to kind of be this we weather forecasting is a commodity right if you have a cell phone you can get a forecast might not be from the weather service Um, but the one thing the weather service does have is the protection of life and property and how we do that is through the warning watch and warning process Um, we're the only agency that are that have the right and the ability to issue flash flood warnings tornado warnings severe thunderstorm warnings for the sole protection of, of life and property. But if we say it and nobody reacts, then it's a failure, right? The best way to make sure we get folks to react is to work with our partners and we all talk with one voice. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, if Caltrans, which I'll take last week's storm as a perfect example of it, they started changing their message signs a day before the storm. And said, you know, if you can't get to your destination by seven o'clock on Tuesday night, don't go until the weekend, you know, mm. and they were retweeting all of our social media graphics and saying, you know, here's the time to travel. If you can't get there, don't go. And that I like to call it the grandma effect because the grandma might not know who the weather service is or oh, they're always wrong. Right. I hear that all the time. It must be nice to get paid to be wrong half the time. Um, (laughs) so they might not trust me. However, their grandson or their son might work for Caltrans and he calls her and says, Hey Nana, big storm is coming. Um, are you, you know, do you have enough food? Do you have extra lights and blankets? And, oh, okay. And then if she reacts and then her neighbors see, she reacts and they're like, well, who'd you get that from? Oh, my grandson works for Caltrans. And it's just amazing how that, that community ripple effect Right. comes in when we're all saying the same thing.
0: So Nana tells two neighbors who then they tell two neighbors and so on and so forth.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hey, whatever it takes to get people to do the right thing.
1: Right. Because yeah. that's actually, you know. you know, I think all of our goal is we want to make sure all of California is safe and informed. And because you can't make a correct decision if you don't have the right information.
0: For sure. Absolutely. Um, one last uh, couple of things I want to chat with you about. Uh, looking okay. back at, uh, at Oroville, and then within just a very short few months after that came the campfire. So here you have Oroville, which is all about uh, rain and about um, you know the spillway and the potential uh, for, for that, the emergency spillway to give way, um, flooding downstream. Uh, to just a few months later where you had the campfire and that was all about dry and windy conditions. Does that surprise you looking at such such a wide variety of conditions in such a short period of time?
1: Again, it goes back to just the dynamic nature of California. Um, Like you mentioned, um, the Oroville incident happened during the 2016-2017 record-breaking year, right? We actually wiped out all five years of drought in one water year. Um, So we had, everything was already literally filled to the brim, including the Oroville spillway. And then, um, so the summer comes and things dry out, and then we had an average winter after that, but not enough to keep, um, well, we had just enough to keep the grasses viable. And 2018 comes, we're all through October, no rain. Um, End of October, we're seeing a big windstorm, right? Which is actually pretty typical for the fall. It's when we see our offshore wind events or our windstorms. However, it was hot. I don't know if you remember, but it was, it was abnormally hot and we had this big wind event coming and the fuels, so typically for the those in the fire community, they look at something, live fuel moisture is what they look at. And in November, because the days are shorter and we have rain, which we hadn't had, you'll see those moistures coming down where they, they can't carry fire is basically the bottom line. Well, this particular instance, those fuel moistures were way back in August. They were as dry as they were in August. So mm-hmm. when you have heat, susceptible, fuel, which is the grasses, and then a huge wind event, Jarbo Gap, which is um, just outside of Paradise, was gusting over 65 miles an hour. You know, and and we're talking in less than, or just over a year, that much of a change happened where, you know, you went from flooding and crazy water to back to drought or considered drought conditions. And then unfortunately all it took was a spark and you have a, a fire of that magnitude. So it's just, California is literally the one place you have to be prepared for everything and anything. And I I don't mean to be glib about that, but it is, you know, when we're doing preparedness month, um, we always have a a daily campaign talking about what should you pack in your evac kit? What should you, you know, I mean, just because you just never know when you're going to have to go. And there is no such thing as urban and wildfire. They've definitely merged and we all have to be Prepared for everything and anything.
0: Very good. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before I let you go and get back to your your home office work?
1: <laughs> uh, just how I'm grateful I think a lot of us, and I speak for a lot of us at the Weather Service, the um, so grateful for the partnerships we have with Cal OES and our emergency management partners, but also the other public facing entities like Caltrans and Department of Public Works, Department of Water Resources. It's it's definitely makes everyone's job easier when we're working together and come up with a you know a common strategy and a solution. And the bottom line is we want to make sure all of all of the public are informed and make the best decisions with or without the weather. Um, but do know weather's gonna impact you every day no matter what you're doing.
0: <laughs> no matter what you're doing, even if you're just trying to fire up the barbecue. Even that. All right. Michelle Mead, who is the meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service in Sacramento. It was so good to see you and good to chat with you. And um, I look forward to seeing you here at the State Operations Center. Hopefully not too soon, but the next time I look forward to it. Thanks. Appreciate it, Sean. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Take care. And again, thanks for your partnership as well. So Michelle may be working from home like so many of us these days. But the work of the National Weather Service continues. You know, there are people in the office monitoring that satellite and the radar data, analyzing it, and reporting on what's happening. And leaders like Michelle continue to stay on top of all of that and planning for the future. So my sincere thanks to Michelle and everyone at the National Weather Service for her time and her and their dedication. So appreciate it. Hey, if you like listening to All Hazards, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And thanks for listening. Remember to wear those masks when walking around in public and when you can't socially distance. Together, we will stop the coronavirus and get back to living life on our own terms. For everyone here at the Cal OES Office of Public Information, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe.
1: You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout-out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.